Blog Talk Radio. Uh, 
and it starred the creepy, eerie Mac, uh, Max Shrek. And um, really interesting thing about this movie, uh, Quentin had just told me that uh, about how they actually discovered the original filming of Nosferatu. Um, Quentin, tell the story real quick. Um, <clears throat> the story about the movie Nosferatu is um, when it was created, it was basically a, a, an, it was supposed to be Bram Stoker's story, but they've just changed the, uh, the the names of characters and the villains and stuff, so as not to infringe. But um, the estate of Bram Stoker obviously recognized his work um, and sued. And when winning the lawsuit, they had it ordered that a complete destruction of every copy was to be done, and it was done, with the exception of one copy that was still in Germany because. Germany's not under English law. So that is how we managed to still have a copy of it today. Mm -hmm. And what people don't realize is that a lot of, I mean, a lot of people sit there and say, yes, I've seen the original. I've seen Nosferatu the Vampire. But Nosferatu the Vampire was actually not the original. That was actually redone in 1979 um, by Werner Herzog. And actually that starred Klaus Kinski as Count Dracula. Now the difference between that Nosferatu and the original Nosferatu was the 1979 version of Nosferatu actually utilized the original character names, Count Dracula, Mina, Jonathan, uh, Renfield. So you have the original Bram Stoker players in that version of 1979. Uh, I implore you to watch both, and just if you really want to do that, watch both of them and kind of make comparisons. So it's really interesting to see the differences in, in filming styles and then how everything was done and how each um, actor portrayed the Count. Of course, the Count in the original was Count Orlock, not Count Dracula. Um, interesting, in 2000, uh, there was another movie made uh, with Willem Dafoe and John Malkovich, which was called Shadow of the Vampire. Now, what this did was this kind of gave you a behind-the-scenes look, of course fictionalized, a behind-the-scenes look of the 1922 version of Nosferatu uh, from Murnau. And Willem Dafoe plays Max Schreck with a power I have never seen. I mean, it just it, he's an incredible actor, um, and he really brings the character forth. And what John Malkovich does is he presents to the other players in the film you know, here's this, this actor, Max Shrek. You know, we're not going to let Max um, mingle with you guys. He's only going to come out during his filming parts, and he will always be in character, in costume, and he will never be out of character at all. Sinister things start to happen with the cast and crew. Um, they revolve around this character, Max Shrek, and it starts to give the illusion that Max Shrek may not be what you really what you think he is what he has been portrayed to be by the director. And it really gives a dark, sinister twist to the behind-the-scenes of Nosferatu's 1922 film. So if you really want to have a lot of fun one night, watch the watch both versions of Nosferatu, then watch Shadow of the Vampire, and I guarantee you, you will be delighted all night long. Uh, wonderful, wonderful little, you know, kind of makeshift trilogy there to experience. Um, but we have we have an Nosferatu. We we have these films, and of course, you know, as film developed, and 
you know, Hollywood got involved. There was more money to go around. In 1931, of course, this was after the Great Depression, but still Hollywood always seemed to find a way to entertain the people. So Hollywood comes up with a rehashing of the vampire legend in Dracula. Now, Dracula, the 1931 film, introduces us to a newer, well, not new in his country, in Hungary, where he's from, um, but introduces us to this, you know, actor Bela Lugosi, who was actually born um, Lugos. But uh, Bela Lugosi kind of took the Dracula character and cemented it into what we have popularized in modern time today, you know, between, you know, Count Chocula and the Counts in Saint, and Sesame Street, but you look at all these images of Counts everywhere, and these really have fallen back and based on the Bela Lugosi version of Count Dracula. And to see him carry that character is interesting because he brings a humor to it. Uh, he His face, it almost has a constant smirk or smile on it. So I thought he really does bring a levity to that character and a new breath of life um, to it, and it really just kind of, I mean, it breaks down the walls of what this character could have possibly been, and it just brings all kinds of possibilities to the screen. Um, Quentin, have you had any, I mean, have you ever seen, have you seen the original the 1931 Dracula Stella Lugosi or any of the Abbott and Costello films? Yes, I, I, I have seen the Abbott and Costello, but not in a while. Uh, the Dracula one I saw a lot because of all my years working in haunted houses. Mm-hmm. Basically, what you play for the waiting audience is classic horror films. So <laughs> over the years, I think I've seen them all about 15,000 times, but I'm sure there's scenes that I never saw because, you know, uh-huh. sometimes you'd leave, you'd come back, and you'd always be catching the same starts and finishes. Um but what I wanted to bring up is what you don't really hear about a lot is um, the early books. And I, and I know we're doing mostly um, the films, but mm-hmm. it's really interesting to go back um, really quick to what is seen as one of, like, you know, your first mass uh, introdu- introduction to vampires. And that would really be um, a publication of, um, I believe the author's name is Palladori. Uh, and it's called mm-hmm. The Vampire, and it was written in 1819, um, which inspires uh, the life and legend of Lord Byron. Um, later on, um, there's the, I think it's Varney, Varney the Vampire, 1847, Sheridan La Fanu's Tale of a Lesbian Vampire by the name of Carmilla in 1872. Um, and of course, Bram Stoker in 1897. So we can really like go back much, almost a century before Bram Stoker. Mm-hmm. But all those other ones seem to have been ignored. Isn't that strange? I think. Well, I think pop culture does it. I think they kind of pick their favorite player and they really expound from that. And I think what I think what Bela Lugosi did with his characters, he made it. Um, he really made it attainable, or. or, or he kind of set it out there to where the regular person could really sit there and go, you know what, I can relate to that character. Or, you know, I think he's humorous. It almost kind of brings Dracula into your living room, so to speak. Um, It makes him a character, a true character, rather than this monster creeping behind the the curtains, even though he really is. 
it brings well, the humanity um, to him that the Nosferatu <coughs> didn't have. Apparently, um, in the 1720s and 30s, there was mm-hmm. a vampire craze. So kind of like the Twilight mm-hmm. thing of right now. Right. Mm-hmm. There was I think one of even the Connecticut had one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Had their vampires, yes. So you can go back to literature mm-hmm. of the 1720s and 30s and 1740s, you know, up to modern day. I mean, you can start right. in the 1700s, early 1700s, but they weren't like we have them now. They did call them vampires, and they are what we think of as vampires, but they mm-hmm. didn't have that 19th century gothic, you know, right, right, Bella Lugosi quality. Although mm-hmm. the yeah. Bella Lugosi thing, which is really cool, is. Mm-hmm. If you go by Bram Stoker, he was not supposed to be this. It was definitely not Bela Lugosi he's describing. No, no, Bela Lugosi, he he did his own thing, and, and uh, I, you know, honestly, I, I love watching. I've always loved watching Bela Lugosi, any of his characters. I mean, he's just he's a very comical, the harsh word, but he almost loses his sense of the comical. With his facial expression. You know, there's parts where the sister and goes, oh my God, he just seems so sweet when he's not being sinister, you know? I know. He looks like such a queen. He's, <laughs> he's, he's brilliant. And, you know, and he's done a lot of Ed Wood films, believe it or not. He, they were good. They were friends um, and worked together a lot. So, anyways, um, well, it's, it's interesting because in 1992, you know, Bram Stoker's Dracula was done again, this time by Francis Ford Coppola. Um, and it was, you know, really, they kind of stuck to, yes, Bram Stoker's novel, but they really played on Dracula with Bela Lugosi. You know, there you go. They they, they they compounded on the original Dracula film that was done in 1931. Um, but I think Gary Oldman, and there again, brings another form of humanity to the character, uh, another type of vulnerability. You know, um, we see his loneliness. We see his pain. Um, so there again, Count Dracula is morphing into something else with Gary Oldman. But prior to that, um, and I mean, whether you've ever seen one of his movies or not, you could have never watched this man play Count Dracula, but whenever you hear his name, Christopher Lee, you will always think of Dracula. Um, I know I do. Because I remember as a little girl watching these, these you know, reruns, these, these you know, old films from the 1950s and 60s, and the boom he had in the 70s, uh, Christopher Lee's Dracula really took on that late 50s, 60s kind of, you know, kind of funkiness, you know? I mean, it, it just really kind of pushed that envelope as far as the Count Dracula myth. I mean, you know, in the 70s, there was a boom of B-horror films that were really just a bunch of soft porn, you know, let's face it. Uh, I mean, Taste the Blood of Dracula, Scars of Dracula, Dracula A.D., Satanic Rites of Dracula. I mean, those are just four of Christopher Lee's Dracula films from the 70s. So, you know, aside from his 1958, his 1958 Dracula, which was the first Dracula film he's done. So from 1958, we carry it right through the 70s, all those hokey Dracula films, but they were good. I mean, they were well done. And, of course, there was a lot more sex, a lot more of that, um, I don't know, I guess that grooviness to the vampire story, you know, that modernized, you can see where it's kind of going more into modern horror at that point. Um, 
you know, he gets the you know, the little blood trim in his eyes, and, and so it's a little more, he's a little more intimidating um, in his character than Bella Lugosi was. He's not as comical. He's more, you know, you don't know if he's going to suck you or screw you, you know, kind of a thing. So I thought, you know, his character is really groovy, so I liked it. I thought it was great. Um, I mean, you know, we can go on and, and just, you know, if you look at the time and where pop culture was at those days, at those eras, I mean, you could see the vampire morphing with that. And I think, I mean, Quentin, you might be a little young to remember this first coming out in the theaters, but, I mean, I certainly do. I remember this movie coming out. Um, 1987, The Lost Boys. Oh, um, I, I've only seen bits and pieces. You've, oh, my goodness, you've got to see it. The Lost Boys took the vampire theme, the vampire idea, the vampire movie, and completely launched it. It launched it to the young audience. It launched it to the teenagers. Once the teenagers got themselves a bite of the vampire genre, that was done, and that was successfully done by The Lost Boys in 1987. And this introduces us to a very young Kiefer Sutherland as the lead punk vampire, Oh, God, uh, Jason Patrick. Um, goodness gracious. Um, there were just so many in there. Uh, the one, the girl who played Star, um, I can't recall what her name is. So uh, I have to say definitely oh, yes, through – Corey, uh, Corey Sullivan, Corey Haim, the Corys, the, the um, infamous Corys, you know, they were – that was one of their big roles, you know. Uh, we saw the Corys together in The Lost Boys. Um, so, you know, if you haven't seen it, Quentin, you, you really have to go and see Rent. Do something. You, you've got to watch The Lost Boys from 1987. Excellent I will film. definitely have to. I've been meaning to. I, you know, I mean, I've always said, oh, I'm going to. I'm I mean, going it to. had a really kick-ass uh, soundtrack, too. It really did. Although, let me say, I have discovered through this process, and I'd like to say thank you, um, a book that I just yeah. have to read. Um, well, it's the one called The Bride of Corinth from 1797, mm, okay. and it, it's really cool because um, I read the, uh, the the description when I was telling you about the um, early books, mm-hmm. and it says here um, it's a story about uh, basically a conflict between heathendom and Christianity. The girl that is to marry the man is a Christian woman, but he comes from a pagan family. So mm-hmm. the mother forces her into a nunnery, which eventually drives her to her death. And a little quote from the book is, From my grave to wander I am forced, still to seek the God's long-severed link, still to love the bridegroom I have lost, and the lifeblood of his heart to drink. Hmm. I thought, Interesting. Oh, I've, got to, I've got to read this. Mm-hmm. I've got to read it, you know, and that should be made into a movie. It sounds nifty. It does. So, I really, I'm, I might have to look at that myself, actually. The Bride of Corinth. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Thought, yes. Mm-hmm. But, yes. You know, the definitely. 80s, like you were saying, the Lost Boys. Mm-hmm. Yes. That literally, I mean, flung the doors open. I think to, and I know you hate it, but I'm going to say it real fast and get it out. Go ahead. Go ahead. Do generation. it. Because <laughs> shortly after that, <clears throat> you have, like, up until, like, as you pop into the 90s, mm-hmm. Sam Rice's book, Interview with the Vampire, has yes. now become a movie, an all-star cast movie. Mm-hmm. Ooh, excuse yes. me. 
Kristen Dunst, Brad Pitt, Tom Cruise, Antonio Banderas. Hmm. I mean, it was it was. <clears throat> she was well done. Cast for the time. It was, and it was well done. And it, actually, that, I think that was one of Kirsten Dunn's first roles. Yes, and she played herself so good, didn't she? <laughs> oh God, that was the creepiest. I, that was the creepiest little vampire. And she didn't eat. Well, food. I have to say, she had the, the, the correct teeth for it. She really looked like she had vampire teeth. <laughs> see, what's interesting is this is where the '80s comes along, and the entire idea of the vampire has changed because no longer yes. are you someone who is bitten by, like, Count Dracula and you have to be buried and so many nights later you rise from the grave mm-hmm. searching blood. These ones are bing, bang, boom, you're bitten, and now you can go back into society, hobnob with everyone, live forever, so you have an amounting massive wealth. Mm-hmm. You know, it's they have, like, a real un, un-life, you know what I mean? They've, they, right. they have more to them than just, okay, go to bed, get up, you know. Exactly. Go back to bed. Well, I think so, also, you know, movies like The Lost Boys, they bring more of a rock and roll sensation into it, too. And now yeah. you're appealing to, you know, especially in, in the, the late 80s, you know, you're appealing to the me generation. You're appealing to, you know, the young teenagers that are going to be growing up with the Generation X of the early 90s, it would be the generation I graduated with. Um, so you, you're really appealing to, I mean, you're open to a new audience, but not only that, but you're giving the vampire a modern edge. And it really did that. It made vampires edgy. It made them sexy. It made them rock stars. I mean, you weren't going to run from these things. You wanted to be them. You know, where if you yeah. look at the Christopher Lee versions and, and the Nosferatu's, you didn't want to be that. It was creepy. It was, it was disgusting. It was, they, were, they were animals. But, man, I'll tell you, you know, Lost Boys, Dracula, movies like, you know, Dracula 2000. Well, let's go even farther. Um, uh, that was one of Gerard um, Butler's first roles. I mean, you wanted to be these guys. You wanted to be on their team. They were sexy. They were immortal, young and gorgeous and rich and wealthy and, you know, frivolous and decadent. I mean, it's like, you know, sin <clears throat> without consequence. I mean, imagine that kind of life. And that's, it really appeals to the primal part of the human psyche. You know, it's that part of us that wants to do these things, that's tempted by these things. And these creatures, these, these new, this new vampire, this new modern vampire gives us an image of what that could be like, that, that lifestyle without consequence. But I think it's really the, the modern <laughs> vampires. Um, then, you know, and we, we kind of see, and, and, you know, you haven't lost the edge of the monster. I mean, you've got movies like John Carpenter, you know. I mean, John Carpenter is going to bring it back down to the ground. He's going to bring it back into the earth and bring it back into the, the dungeons and the dinginess with his vampire movies, the vampires, literally. Uh, the original was with uh, James Woods. Uh, who happens to live on, was it, was, did he live under Stewie's bed? Or was that, no, that's right, too. It was, it was William Defoe was under Stewie's bed, right? Uh, underneath Stewie's bed was Willem Dafoe. Right, Willem Dafoe, okay. <laughs> James Woods was in there somewhere, though. But anyways... Um, uh, yeah, he was on there a lot, too. James, yes, he was. Um, James Wood is the one that they uh, they go to James Wood High, and they use yes. candy to lure him underneath, like, a rabbit trap thing. Right, you know? right, yes, I remember that. Uh, but, uh, yeah, uh, the movie that John Carpenter's Vampires in 1998 uh, features the vampires is literally um, a hold-up rat. They were just desert rats, holed up at daytime. You know, they were animalistic. They were dead. You knew it. 
and they really kind of showed the horrific side. They really kind of kept I – mean, and John Carpenter's good about doing it. He wants to keep that horror element, or he wants to keep that separation between human and animal, and I think – or human and monster. And he really does that in his vampire series. Um, mm-hmm. You know, in 1998, I think uh, the second one he did was uh, Los Muertos in 2001, uh, which I believe had John Bon Jovi in it, which he didn't, just, he didn't do a shabby job. He did okay. But, you know, you still have that element of the vampire being kept alive and things like Bordello of Blood and, and those kinds of, of movies. Um, but really, you know, I think, you know, I think with The Lost Boys, it really chipped it. It really chipped it and just blew that wall right open, and now we have sexy vampires. And if you look at different movies through the 80s and 90s, you know, let's, let's hit there, let's go there, let's go to the Twilight series. I didn't want to, but... You know, if we're going to talk about appealing to a younger generation, then you're going to have They broke every rule. Those things aren't even vampires. They're, I know. They're, 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 what's the word I'm looking for? Um, metrosexuals. <laughs> they're metro vampires. <laughs> oh, I mean, oh, come on. How do they count as vampires? Now, wait a second. Don't they, like, don't some of them give up drinking blood? They, like, switch to, like, no, no, they, they have the organic blood. substitute? No, they have animal blood. You're thinking of true blood. Okay, I mean, those aren't real vampires. No. I mean, for shit's sake. I mean, they they can fly, for but, one. But you know what it is, too? You have to understand, you know, the woman who wrote this, um, Stephanie Myers, you know, she, the one thing I do admire about her is, is she really targeted the young teen audience with these books. If you've read these books, um, even with the vampire stories, there's a morality in there, and she really keeps that morality through the books. Well, of course, I do have a Mormon. question about them. Yeah. Oh, oh my God, she's Mormon, and she wrote a vampire she, book. But you know, well, she did a good job because she made the heroine desirable, and you wanted to. You know, a young girl would want to be that and be in her place, but yet she kept her values, she kept her dignity, she kept her morals. And can I just say, mm-hmm. I just, I just have to say it, and. <laughs> What I have to say here is, when first off, when when he sparkles, wrong. That no, that shouldn't happen. That no. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, but no. you have to understand, it wasn't written for adults. But why is it? He's like 105 or whatever he is. Yes. In 105 years, in 105 years, he has not figured out a how to do his hair, and b he hasn't found someone prettier than Kristen Stewart. I think he just goes for the whiny type. I think he does, because he's, like, really, like, oh, my God. And she's like, oh, my, my, what is he, Edward? Edward. Yes. Yes. So, yeah, I know. And it just, I mean, like I said, it was written for the teen audience. Um, I mean, you know, and and that even opens up different avenues, too. You have the TV shows. And, I mean, let's say Dark Shadows. We're going to go right up there. Dark Shadows, the TV soap opera, well, the first TV soap opera based on vampires. Um, you know, and they've done a remake of the movie, which I refuse to see because it looks horrific. It looks absolutely terrible. Stupid. Oh, Stupid. I know. Uh, I, I um, think he's gone too far with that one there. But, you know, you have, and I know we have the obvious ones. We have the True Bloods and the Vampire Diaries. But um, a while ago, this is, oh, goodness, back in the 90s, I believe, it was a series called Blood Ties. And it was based out of Toronto, Canada. And it was actually King Henry VIII's illegitimate son, Henry, is the star vampire in the series. And he he's a wonderful character and does a wonderful job. So 
you want to really check out a good series, check out Blood Ties. Um, I believe it was the 90s when it ran. I pretty much right along with Nick Knight. And, you know, I won't even talk about Buffy the Vampire Slayer. It was ridiculous. That Angel and all that, you know. I mean, it really did kind of bleed over into all aspects of life and, and all different kinds of characters. Um, um, but, you know, that's, it just kind of shows you where, you know, if you look at where it started from as far as film goes, from Nosferatu, the 1922 film of Nosferatu, you look all the way today to the Twilight movies, and you're like, wow. You know, you go, to, you go from an animal, a creature that you just feared and didn't want to be near or like, to a creature you couldn't wait to be like. You know, you wanted that part. You wanted to be part of it. You wanted to have that lifestyle, that sensation, that immortality. But it put a pretty face, you know, modern, you know, the modern age has put a pretty face to the monster. And the monster has stopped being horrifying. It's become something that appeals to the darker side of all of us, whether we admit it or not. Um, I just wanted to jump in with, um, before we got too far away from it, mm-hmm. the Dark Shadows thing. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I am a fan of Dark Shadows. It's My mother named me after a Dark Shadows character. And um, I was thoroughly disappointed that the movie did not include the character, Quentin Collins. I didn't go see the movie for that reason alone, and it looked like stupidness. Um, but I have to say... Um, Dark Shadows, the best episodes were the early ones in black and white. Um, It was a little bit more traditional vampire-like. But as time went on, Barnabas just got gayer and gayer and gayer. And then they realized nobody found him attractive, so, oh, gosh, what do we do? That's when David Selby, a.k.a. Quentin Collins, came around, and all Mm -hmm. the ladies went, (gasps) and started naming their children Quentin. That's funny. That's good. I just had to point that out. So there is a generation of children named after, like... Vampires. (laughs) Undead creatures. I'm sure we're going to see a slew of Edwards and Bellas and things like that, too. I mean, actually, I I have a cousin named her girl, Belle, but I seriously doubt she named her after a a vampire. It's actually Isabella, so... But, I mean, you know, you're going to see that now. But um, jumping off, you know... We I just wanted to mention, if, if you are listening and you are looking for some good reads, you know, I'm going to skip over the Anita Blakes. I'm going to skip over the, uh, you know, Anita Blake Vampire Hunters from, our, from L.A. Banks. Um, I'm going to skip over the Anne Rice. Because you know Anne Rice is out there. She's got tons of stuff. But some other authors <clears> you may <throat> not have taken note of, um, Michelle Rowan. If you want a lighter side of the vampire, Michelle Rowan is funny. Uh, she throws a great story. It's romance. It's lighthearted. It's got a little bit, I mean, it's got its action. It's got its, you know, intrigue and everything else. But it has a, there's definitely more of a modern catch to it and a lighter side to it. Um, you know, one of, I actually, a treasure that I found um, accidentally in a bookstore, to tell you the truth, uh, Jennifer Armentrout. Now, she has a series of four books called Blood Ties. And, I believe she's got an odd one called American Vampire, or I think it's what it's called, American Vampire. But anyways, um, her blood tie series is really, really interesting. It's about an, um, a, a, a girl who works in a hospital. She goes into the morgue one night, and she's attacked, therefore carrying on the transition of vampire. But it's the characters that she meets and 
the battle that she goes through from book one all the way through to book four. I mean, it's a phenomenal series. It doesn't get as much recognition as it deserves. It really doesn't. Um, this is awesome. <laughs> More popular. Oh, you're you're breaking up a bit, dear. Is this better? Uh, say something else. Is that better? Um, yeah, I heard you that time. Okay. Um, another series. Uh, actually, you know, people will say that you know, well, Laura Adrian copied off J.R. Ward, and the series between J.R. Ward. Her, her Black Dagger Brotherhood series and Laura Adrian's Midnight Breed series, it's interestingly similar. And the stories and characters parallel each other. And it seems that right after J.R. Ward releases a book, Laura Adrian goes and releases one very similar. So who knows? Um, you know, one says, the other one says, oh, no, it's completely coincidental. So, you know. Who knows how it works. But anyways, um, both series, I mean, are, in and of themselves, are very good series. Uh, you have the Laura Adrian's Midnight Brain, which is very interesting, really good characters. Of course, some characters better than others. Um, and then also J.R. Ward, the Black, uh, Black Dagger Brotherhood uh, series. Really good series. Strong male characters um, with her. There's also female characters involved, uh, female, you know, Vampire characters, uh, Law Adrian, of course, you know, um, it, it's a really good series. Um, both of those women, excellent writers. Um, of course, you know, you have your tried and true L.A. Banks. Uh, you've got your um, you know, your Anne Rice's and uh, different things like that. Um, but, you know, check out some newbies. You know, throw Gen- you know, grab a Jennifer Armentrout book. Grab book one of the Blood Tide series. I, I promise you, you will be hooked. Uh, Michelle Rowan, you can pretty much read hers independently. Uh, a lot of good stuff here, though. Um, anyways, uh, we are actually going to go ahead and bring this show to close. But again, you know, uh, if you're interested in, look, in looking over any of the movies, um, I'll put a list on my Facebook page, and feel free to stop by there. It's a completely public page. You don't have to friend me to look at anything. If you want to just look up things the show, go ahead and check it out. Diana Stack Live on Facebook, based out of Biloxi. That's Diana Stack Live, and I will have a list of movies for you and some books up there, um, probably by tomorrow morning, if not later tonight. So feel free to check that out. And if you want to email us, feel free to do so at dstackradio at gmail.com. Again, that's gstackradio at gmail.com. Quentin? So I just wanted to ask if really mm-hmm. quick. It's just a few tiny little short lines. It's an 1813 poem. Would you mind if I closed us out with it? Sure. Okay, it's, uh, it's um, in in a passage in his epic poem. Uh, it's uh, by it's from the Gior. I don't know how you say this. Gior, G I A O U R. It's by Lord Byron from 1813, <clears throat> and it goes. But first on earth, as vampire sent, thy course shall form its tomb be rent. Then ghastly haunt thy native place and suck the blood of all thy race. Where from <clears throat> there from thy daughter, sister, wife, at midnight drain the stream of life. Yet load the banquet which perforce must feed thy livid 
living course, thy victims ere they yet expire, shall know the demon for their sire. As cursing thee, thou cursing them, thy flowers are withered on the stem. And I thought that was something cute to go out on. Yes, definitely. <laughs> so I was thinking, I know Quentin has to run early tonight, so I'm going to go ahead and just do a quick shout out if that's okay with you. Um, mm-hmm. Every Friday night, meet us here at the Festival of Fright, your place for the horror genre. Anything horror, it should be here. And if it's not, give us a ring, send me an email, and let me know if there's something you'd like to talk about. Again, that's Diana Stack Live on Facebook or dstackradio at gmail.com. So, 10 p.m. Eastern, 9 p.m. Central, that's Festival of Fright on Fridays. Mondays, catch Quentin on the Victorian Vale at 9 p.m. Eastern Time, 8 p.m. Central. And on Wednesdays, the Haunted Carnival. And that's at 9.30 p.m. Eastern, 8.30 p.m. Central. So, Quentin, did you want to give a shout-out? I just wanted to say thank you for everyone who came tonight. Uh, thank you for listening to us. Um, and for all of you archive listeners, thank you so much. Yes, um, <clears throat> and those of you who are who are guests and we don't know who you are, thank you. And if you're an archive listener who has a show, uh, we try and make it to yours. And if uh, we don't know about your show, let us know if you're on the yeah, paranormal or something. We'd love to talk to you. And if you want to talk to us, uh, feel free to let us know that you want to talk to us on our show. We'd love to talk to you. So see you guys either Monday, Wednesday, Friday, or maybe all three. Yes, and like I said, you can look us up at at Diana Stack Live Studios on Blog Talk Radio. Again, that's Diana Stack Live Studios on Blog Talk Radio with all your needs there. So we will bid you adieu, and until Monday, have a good weekend, everybody. Don't let the vampires bite. Bye.